The passage this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. As Kate said, it will be on the screen, uh, but I'll give you a moment to look it up. If you have one of the Red Bibles, uh, it's on page 1505. Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who, per- who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks for reading, Henry, and um, hello again to everybody. Um, Just before we get into that passage, it'd be great to keep it open if you have it. Um, Just a quick notice, particularly for the members of the church here. Um, As a church this year, we're we're trying to give more attention to the church calendar, observing the the big kind of festivals and seasons of the church. And so the season of Lent is approaching fast. It begins on Ash Wednesday, the 22nd of February. And um, this is the resource that I'm recommending uh, that we use as individuals or, or couples. Uh, it's called Journey to the Cross, and it has uh, a daily devotion for the 40 days of Lent. Each day has uh, prayers of praise and confession. Uh, reading, you read through the second half of Mark's Gospel leading up to the Passion, Crucifixion, and Resurrection. Um, there's a, a little kind of devotion and some questions to, to think through. Um, I've looked at the first 10 days, and I think it's great. Uh, I found it really helpful so far. I'm going to go back and start again come Ash Wednesday. But I recommend it to you. You don't have to use it at all. Um, you're going to find it hard to get a paper copy of this book, uh, but it's available as an ebook on Amazon. I think it's about $12. Um, if you search Journey to the Cross, you'll probably get Paul Tripp's book by the same uh, title, which would also be fantastic, but this is the one, uh, Will Walker and Kendall Horg. Um, that's the one I'm recommending uh, that we use together as we journey to the cross. All right, I'm going to pray, and, um, and then we'll look at that passage in Matthew. Our Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have to be able to open your word together to read it freely to read it in our own language and we thank you this morning for the presence of your spirits 
to enable us to hear Jesus' words afresh this day. We pray that that would be our experience, that we would hear his words and take them to heart, and that they would bear fruit in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. So you probably did recognize those, those words. They're called the Beatitudes. They're the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, probably Jesus' most famous body of teaching. Probably the greatest sermon ever given. My sermons are forgotten within a few days at best. Uh, Jesus' sermon has lasted two millennia. Uh, I was trying to think of famous phrases, maybe famous movie quotes. Uh, you'll probably rec recognize where these ones come from. The force be with you. Uh, there's no place like home. I'll be back. Um, elementary, my dear Watson. Or this one, gentlemen to bed, for tomorrow we rise at dawn. Not so famous, but I wanted to get that one in there. Uh, but all those movie quotes, you know, in a few hundred years, they'll almost certainly be forgotten. But the words of Jesus' sermon, just think of the phrases that have entered the English language and been part of our language for centuries. The, the salt of the earth, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, blow your own trumpets. Take the log out of your own eye and do to others as you'd have them do to you. They all come from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' sermon has transformed our language and inspired millions, regardless of class, culture, or religion. But how are we to understand it? It is not just a pamphlet on ethical teaching that can be ripped out of its context. As with every passage of Scripture, we need to understand where it comes. So the Sermon on the Mount comes in Matthew chapter 5. There have been four chapters already. What's been going on so far? Well, as a church, we've been journeying through Matthew. And in those first four chapters, Matthew has introduced us to Jesus, showing how he comes as the fulfillment of all God's Old Testament promises. He doesn't appear out of the blue. He arrives as the fulfillment of centuries of longing, hoping, and promise. At Jesus' baptism in chapter 3, God himself speaks from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All the focus is on Jesus. He's anointed with the Spirit. He withstands the devil's temptations. He performs miracles that have not been seen before or since. Last week, we looked at the first words of Jesus' public ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near because the king of the kingdom is here. Everything God has promised for centuries, all God's purposes for this world are being fulfilled in Jesus. He's come to open the kingdom of heaven to people, come to bring the blessings of the kingdom to God's world. It is a very, very exciting time. And then Jesus preaches this sermon. He sees the crowds flocking to him, hundreds, maybe thousands of people and so he goes up on a mountainside, he sits down and begins to teach. And the theme of his sermon is the kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about his kingdom, his government, if you like. He's setting out his manifesto. These are the values of Jesus' government and rule. This is what he stands for. This is the life of Jesus' kingdom. 
And this morning, as I said, we're looking at the Beatitudes. Eight Beatitudes, eight times Jesus says, blessed are... And he's not describing eight different people. He's describing eight characteristics of the people who are members of his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These Beatitudes are hallmarks, the characteristics of the person who's living with Jesus as their king. We've thought a bit about what it means to be a Christian already this morning. We've welcomed Junie and uh, Tash and Bruin. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, we're looking at what is it that characterizes those who are living with Jesus as their king, members of his kingdom. Three points. They're, they're on your sheets if you want to follow along. The first is the longest. The members of the kingdom are bankrupt. The members of the kingdom are bankrupt. Jesus starts off, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about material poverty, but spiritual poverty. He's picking up Old Testament language of being lowly and humble, broken and contrite. Poverty of spirit means the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. This is the essential mark of Christian discipleship, to own your bankruptcy, to acknowledge that you have a debt of sin that you cannot pay. It's not saying I am worthless. It is saying I am unworthy. I'm unworthy of God's love. I'm undeserving of his acceptance. It's having the self-awareness that in myself, I have nothing to commend me to God. I'm sinful. I'm rebellious. I'm corrupt and unclean. The hymn Rock of Ages expresses it like this. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. This call to poverty of spirit offends our pride, doesn't it? There's no space here for self-righteousness or pride in my moral standing. Jesus is calling us to humility, to repentance, to dependence on God and his grace. You see, right at the start of Jesus' sermon, we're being called to admit we can't do the sermon. We don't have the spiritual resources in ourselves to put Jesus' teaching into practice. For sure, Jesus' teaching is beautiful. As I've said, it's inspired millions. There's something so attractive about the life of the kingdom that Jesus describes. We're drawn to it. We want to be part of it, rightly. But there's also something confronting about it. It's like a bright light. You know, it draws us in, but it also exposes us. And that is part of the purpose of Jesus' sermon, to convict us to humble us, to show us our need, to drive us to God and his grace. Grace to forgive us and grace to transform us, to transform our hearts so that we begin to put these things into practice. Oswald Chambers said, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live only when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. Well, we've spent a bit of time on this first beatitude because it sets up the rest and largely sets up the whole sermon. 
But we're going to move on and race through the rest of the passage. The remaining seven Beatitudes really flow on from the first. Those who are poor in spirit will be those who mourn. They mourn their own personal sin and they mourn the injustice and evil they see in the world around them. We can become so accustomed to our own moral failings and evil that we become insensitive to it. I mean, when was the last time you wept over your sin? When was the last time you you wept as you saw or heard about the brokenness of the world? Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. The poor in spirit will also be meek. Now, to be meek doesn't mean to be weak or wishy-washy. It means to be humble. It means I don't think more highly of myself than I ought. Donald Trump and others want America to be characterized by greatness. Jesus wants his kingdom to be characterized by meekness. The members of Jesus' kingdom will also be characterized by a hunger for righteousness. And I think it's worth asking ourselves, what do I hunger for? What what do I really long for? I wonder how many of us would say righteousness. How many of us long for righteousness in the world, for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven? How many of us thirst for personal righteousness, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ? It reminds me of a conversation I had on on a ski trip uh, back when I was in university out in the French Pyrenees, I think, and um, was talking to a girl called Jo and just asked her, you know, offhand, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, I want to be the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> She's not, if you don't know. And she said, oh, what about you? And I said rather cheekily, I want to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. <laughs> but is that what we really long for and thirst for? We, you know, we're not there yet. We're, we're poor in spirit, but we long for it. We pray for it. We're not content There's a hunger, a dissatisfaction. We thirst for righteousness. Here's a practical application you might want to put in this week. Every time you feel thirsty this week, I think it's going to be pretty warm, plenty of opportunities. Every time you feel thirsty or hungry, just pray a simple prayer. Lord, give me a thirst for your righteousness. Make me someone who hungers to be more like Jesus. Jesus goes on, blessed are the merciful. Let me ask you, what's your attitude to the poor and the weak and the needy? How you answer that question will depend on the degree to which you see yourself in that category. If I know I'm desperately needy, desperately in need of mercy, then I'll be merciful to those around me in need. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. He clearly sees that members of his kingdom are going to be characterized by more than external behavior. He's addressing our motives, our heart desires. Next week we'll see that, or two weeks' time, Jesus takes the Old Testament commands against murder and adultery and applies them to hatred and lust. The religion of Jesus is a religion of the heart. 
Next, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Members of Jesus' kingdom, they've been reconciled to God. And so they're committed to making peace. They they go out with the good news of peace with God through Jesus. And in their relationships with others, they, they seek reconciliation. They seek to lessen tensions. They offer forgiveness. They work for relationship repair. Blessed are the peacemakers. So this is our first point, our longest point. The members of Jesus' kingdom, they're bankrupt. They they know their need of grace. They mourn their sin. They're meek and merciful. They hunger for righteousness. They're pure of heart. They're eager to make peace. These are the characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. To what degree do they describe us? But there's more. Our second point is that the members of the kingdom are bruised. The members of the kingdom are bruised. The final beatitude, which is then expanded on in verses 11 and 12, pronounces a blessing on those who are persecuted because of their allegiance to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted because they're objectionable or rude. No, the people described here are persecuted because they live as Jesus lived. Verse 10 says they're persecuted because of their righteousness. And verse 11 says, you're blessed if you're persecuted because of me. Uh, The book, Killing Fields, Living Fields, I don't know if you've read it. It's about the, the story of the Cambodian church. And it gives a beautiful description of the Cambodians who first came to faith back in the 1920s. These poor rice farmers turned from the Buddhism that was ingrained in Cambodian culture. They threw out their idols and their other superstitions and embraced a simple worship of the living gods. And they were persecuted, verbally at first, mocked and ridiculed for believing in the white man's God, and then accused of being disloyal to their culture and identity. Three of the Christian men from one village were put in prison, living in life-threatening conditions for months, repeatedly asked to renounce their faith in Jesus but they refused. Finally, released and returned to their families, their bodies emaciated, riddled with infection. But then in the book, it says, worse than the physical torture was the relentless taunting and slander that they experienced. You know, reading that made me think, we shouldn't downplay verbal persecution. You know, we may not be persecuted physically as Christians here in Australia, but we can be on the receiving end of verbal persecution, can't we? And that's what Jesus has in view here. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That book, Killing Fields, Living Fields, is a reminder that the normal experience of Christian people is that when you align yourself with Jesus, you come into opposition from the world. Jesus says in John's gospel, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And it does raise the question for us, if I'm never experiencing any persecution, if I'm never being mocked or insulted for my faith in Christ, is it that I've compromised in some way? in order to avoid that persecution. I've stayed silent when I should have spoken up. I've gone along with the crowd when I should have stood out. 
and taken the flack. Again, we're not being called to be difficult. We are being called to be different. We don't belong to the world. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. We belong to Jesus. We have a different set of values, different to the values of the world. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we face some opposition and bruising for Jesus' sake. Jesus says we should rejoice when we do because that's how the world has always treated God's people. The members of the kingdom will be bruised. And finally, the members of the kingdom are blessed. We mustn't miss this. Jesus says nine times, blessed. You are blessed. We need to hear this because we easily think, if I align myself with Jesus, I'm going to miss out. But what if we, I mean, what have we looked at so far? Jesus says we're going to be bankrupt and bruised. It's not a great sales pitch, is it? But they're called Beatitudes because every line starts with the word blessed. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, you are blessed. What does that mean, to be blessed? It means to be approved by God, to enjoy God's favor. There's nothing better than that. Jesus spells out the blessing. Verse 3, you belong to the kingdom of heaven. Here and now, you're a citizen of heaven, and in eternity, you will enjoy the kingdom in its fullness. Verse 4, you'll be comforted. Comforted now with the good news of sins forgiven, debts paid, love poured out, and one day God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, crying or pain. Verse 5, you will inherit the earth. Yeah, we kind of hear that, we've heard it before, but think about it. I mean, what do you stand to inherit? Maybe a, a house or a patch of land or a pot of cash. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to inherit the earth. Don Carson says, 50 billion trillion years from now, God's people will still be rejoicing that this beatitude is true. You're not going to miss out. If you follow Jesus, you are not going to miss out. Verse 6, you will be filled, you'll be satisfied. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled with righteousness. That will happen in this life as the Spirit increasingly produces the fruit of Christlikeness in your life. And finally, in eternity, you will be like Him. You'll be made just like the one you love. You're blessed. Verse 7, you'll be shown mercy now and at the final judgment. Verse 8, you will see God. Wow. See him now with the eyes of faith. See him face to face when Jesus comes again. Verse 9, you will be called children of God. There's no greater privilege than to be a son or daughter of the living God. No wonder Jesus says in verse 10, Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Following Jesus will mean bruising, but it will also mean blessing. Blessing that far outweighs any hardship or persecution we may face. Some of you have heard before about my friend, Chuku, my African friend in, in London. Uh, whenever I saw him, I would say, Chuku, how are you? And Chuku would always reply, Ben, I am blessed and highly favored. 
Now, that kind of thing could easily become a, a meaningless mantra, but Chiku did it with such authenticity. It was a way for him to remind himself and me of what is true of him as a follower of Jesus. For those of us who are disciples, members of Jesus' kingdom, whatever our life circumstances may be, and just bring that to mind right now, you, you may be facing great hardship, but whatever the circumstances of your life, we enjoy the favor of God. You are blessed. Will you do this with me this week? Every day or as many days as you can, just read through the Beatitudes again. And as you do so, ask God to pray. Ask, ask God to, to help you increasingly inhabit and live out these, these characteristics and enable you to really believe that these blessings are yours. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth, filled with righteousness, shown mercy. You will see God. You're children of God. You're blessed. One final word. If we're to have any hope of embodying these Beatitudes, we need to realize they don't just describe the followers of Jesus. They describe Jesus himself. And when we think of that, we see how what he did gives us what each beatitude promises. See, why can you and I be as rich as kings so the kingdom of heaven is ours? Because Jesus became utterly poor for our sakes. Why can you and I be comforted? Because Jesus mourned. Why are you and I inheriting the earth? Because he gave up everything and became meek. Because he was like a lamb before his shearers. See, when you see Jesus being poor for you, well, it helps you become poor in spirit. To come to God and say, I need your grace. Well, why don't we do that now? Let me lead us in a prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus who lived these characteristics of the kingdom perfectly and secures these blessings for us. Father, we need your grace. We pray that you'll give us a right view of ourselves to own our spiritual bankruptcy before you. Help us to know and really believe that we are truly blessed, highly favored, that we might rejoice in the blessings we enjoy. And we pray that our lives as individuals and as a community here at Barney's would be a blessing to the community around us. It would cause others to discover your grace for themselves and give glory to you, our wonderful, loving God and Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.